What happens when you don't listen? When you're asking for directions? Or when a parent or a spouse is telling you what to do? Or more importantly, what happens when you don't listen to what God tells you? Hi, I'm Yvonne Prand from Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. And the results of not listening can range from frustrating to tragic, and we're going to look at the lives of Samuel and Saul to see how one listened to God, the other didn't, and the results of each one in our lesson today entitled, Samuel and Saul, The Importance of Listening to God and How to Do It. How's your hearing been these days? Have you recently had someone say to you, You're not listening to me. (laughs) Most of us have. Maybe we weren't paying attention, or maybe we didn't want to hear what we knew someone was going to say. Whatever the reason, not listening can get us into a lot of trouble. The trouble is especially serious if we aren't listening to God. If we aren't hearing what He has to say to us, Before we go on in this lesson, it's important to establish the fact that God does want us to hear Him. This lesson is primarily about Samuel and Saul, but it has applications for each of of us in our walk with God. First, why should we even listen? I found this quote by Dallas Willard to be really helpful when he says, Hearing God A daring idea, some would say, presumptuous and even dangerous. But what if we were made for it? What if the human system simply will not function properly without it? There are good reasons to think that it will not. To help us live what we were made for, to help us function properly, to help us listen to God, and for some practical tips on how to do it better is what we want to learn from this lesson. The lives of Samuel and Saul show us the contrast of a life spent listening to God and one that didn't. In our last lesson, we looked at the depressing book of Judges, and now we come to the last judge of Israel, Samuel. Samuel was the last and greatest of the judges. He was born in answer of the prayer in answer to prayer of his mother Hannah, who promised him to God after he was born. He was raised in the temple by the priest Eli. He served God from an early age and was a good, diligent, and obedient child. One of my very favorite Bible stories was one night when he was a little boy. He was laying in bed and he heard his name called. He thought it was Eli. He jumps up and he goes to him. He says, here I am, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. It happens again. And Eli finally realized that it was the Lord who was calling Samuel, and he told him to go back to bed and to say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God spoke to Samuel, and he obeyed God, even though it was a very difficult message that he was given to give to Eli. He had to tell Eli that God was going to judge him for the sins of his sons. Listening to God's command To rebuke someone is one of the most difficult messages we can get. And remember, he was just a little boy, but he did what God asked him to do. And from his initial obedience, he grew into a powerful leader. He judged Israel on a circuit. He started a school of prophets. He lived a personally holy life. However, 
It says that when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his first his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. I can't help but think he was raised by Eli and Eli had problems with his sons and apparently he never learned how to discipline his children. But it goes on to say, So all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now asking for a king in and of itself wasn't a bad thing. God instituted human government and planned that earthly leaders should reflect his leadership. It was prophesied that Israel would have a king back in Jacob's blessing, or some people refer to them as the prophecies of his sons, where it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Now, this prophecy was looking forward to Jesus, but many have said that it did show that God expected an earthly king would come along. But the people's reason for wanting one at that time was really problematic because they just wanted one to lead their armies and to be like other nations. God gave them what they asked for. After assuring Samuel that they were not rejecting him, they weren't rejecting Samuel. What they were rejecting was God's rule over them. Now, the challenge, the application to us at this point, is to be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. God sometimes answers prayers that shouldn't be answered or perhaps shouldn't be answered in the way that we pray for them. They wanted a king. They got a king. And along with him, they got years of war and the rule of an increasingly unstable king. Now here's the very sad warning, not actually of this, but of when the children of Israel were wandering for 40 years. But it applies for all of us, and it's a cautionary tale, where it says in Psalm 106.15, And he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. Application to us. Always pray that God's will be done, not just what we want, in His way and in His time. They didn't ask for wisdom in choosing a king, or for the right timing, or for a godly leader. They simply wanted a king to lead their armies, and they wanted it now. An alternative that I want you to consider to demanding from God what you want is to listen carefully to what God wants you to do before and as you pray. Now, you can do this, I, I really encourage you, by reading God's Word. God will never give you anything that goes against His... Well, I shouldn't say He will never give you anything that goes against His Word. He doesn't want to give you anything that goes against His Word. If you pray and you whine and you scream and you holler and you throw a fit like they did, God might give it to you. But again, the warning is that you get leanness in your soul because of it. 
before you pray and when you pray, you want to not only understand the specific commands of Scripture. We know we shouldn't ask for the ability to kill somebody or to tell a good lie or to whatever, but the more you read God's Word, the more you will understand His character. You will understand how He works, how He wants to work in your life. You'll understand His ways of doing things before you ask. You know, it's it's just the same in human relationships. There are certain people, because you know them well, you know it's futile to ask certain things from them. They're just not going to do that for you. They're not going to give it to you. They don't want that. Our God is no different than that. And give Him the respect. Get to know Him well, just like you would someone else in your family that you love and care for. Also, when you pray, you trust God, you journal, things like that, God may have an entirely new solution or way of doing things, that something that you can't even imagine. Always be open to that. But they didn't do that. And Saul is anointed king. God called a group of men to follow him. Now, not much happens until there's a challenge to the city of Jabesh. They're threatened. Saul answers. He raises an army and rescues them. His kingship is confirmed, and Samuel retires from political leadership. But he's still the spiritual leader, and he warns the people as he leaves, where he says in 1 Samuel 12, For the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Now war follows with the Philistines. Saul wins earthly battles, but he fails in the spiritual ones. The army assembles at Gilgal. They've been fighting. They're getting ready to fight this big battle. They're told to wait for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifices. He was God's chosen spiritual leader. He was the one that was supposed to do that. But Saul gets impatient. He offers the sacrifice, and shortly thereafter, Samuel shows up. Saul doesn't repent. He makes the excuse. He says, I felt compelled to offer the sacrifice. Here is Samuel's response. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now here is what was so wrong in that situation. Saul was told to wait by God's prophet, and the prophet speaks for God. To not listen to Samuel was to not listen to God. Saul gave in to the fears of the people, his army, and his enemies. He acted as a priest. This was forbidden. He did not confess he sinned or repent of his actions. He offered excuses. Now, there are three important, very important applications from this. Number one, always play to an audience of one. Saul didn't. 
His actions were determined by the perceived reactions of the people and his enemies. He had clear guidance from God. He knew he shouldn't offer sacrifice. That was the job of the priest. There will always be conflicting voices and opinions when you're called to do something for God. And even more so today with the flood of social media and people feeling compelled to comment on absolutely everything that everybody does. But only one opinion matters. God's. Get settled in your life where your ultimate loyalty is. It should be in God. Never waver from it. You won't have to then decide each time something comes up, which way are you going to go? What will you do? Determine to seek His will first in decisions. Study a topic. Pray. Journal about the implications. You might even consider writing down a personal code of conduct. Now, uh, the advantages of a code of conduct. This is something that the militaries had for many years as part of their training. And I grew up in a military family and love the military, love many of the things they've done, what they stand for, have had people I, I care very much about in the military. The military teaches soldiers a code of contact conduct. This is how you're supposed to act in battle and also how to act if captured and tortured. Soldiers know the code of conduct must be ingrained in them if they're to survive the worst that can happen. Now it was very interesting. I was reading a while a while back about the review of the prisoners of war behavior after the Vietnam War. They had different panels and meetings and different things that uh, followed that. And it was clear from their analysis of it that those who knew the code of conduct and followed it fared far better than those who did not. Those who didn't follow the code of conduct in some cases betrayed their fellow POWs and how sad it was for them when the war was over. When some were receiving medals and honors, they were disgraced. Now, our code of conduct, fortunately, is written for us. It's very plain. It's accessible to us. Our overall code of conduct, of course, is in the Bible. Many things the Bible teaches apply to everyone, and you must know it well to survive in the battles of life. In the midst of challenges and temptation, that's not the time to decide how you are going to live. When a, peeled, when a soldier in Vietnam was captured, they couldn't run to the code of conduct and think, oh, what, what, am, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle myself? No. The ones that got through it successfully knew what it was, had it ingrained in their hearts and minds. In addition, though, to the overall thing, you might want to think through specific applications to your life, to your calling. For myself, I have to maintain an extremely strict schedule. I'm trying to do a lot of things in ministry. I have both the Bible 805 ministry. I have my effective church communications ministry. I have something that's called the Bible verse. I do a lot of different things because my overall goal is to help people get God's word into all parts of their life so that they can come to know him better, grow as his disciples. Because I have the 
these goals because I feel that God's called me to do that. I have to be very, very strict about my schedule. I can't do a lot of things, things that I might enjoy, things that there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing, but I just have to say no a lot because to create the content I know God has called me to create, this is what I have to do. Again, many things that I say no to are not bad, but I don't have time to do them. And each of you, you must make decisions in your life of what are you going to do that counts for eternity and what are you going to do that maybe just is kind of silly and useless and all that sort of thing. Someday, The battles we fight will be over and we will be evaluated as to whether we stood true to our calling even when it was difficult. Please do listen to the lesson, Tell Telestai, If the Battle is Finished, Why is Life So Hard? for advice on how to fight well. This is sort of a special thing outside of going through the Bible overall, but it's a super, super important lesson. I also have an ebook available on it in addition to the podcast, the video, everything. Please do look at that. I think it will make a huge difference in how you face the battles of life. We want, at the end of our lives, for our commanding officer, our Lord Jesus, to be proud of us when he welcomes us home. Now, application number two, don't try to manipulate God through religious actions. Saul used the sacrifices as sort of a magic action to keep the army from leaving. This was similar to when Israel would bring the ark into battle and actually is very similar to fictional depictions of it today. Um, Many of you have probably seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a fun movie, but really lousy theology. Nothing like that is, um, first of all, they don't know where the ark is. And even if they did, the things that happened in the movie probably wouldn't happen. But that is not what God gave them the ark and the entire religious system for. These items and the actions associated with them were part of the worship of Israel. They're not magic talismans that they could manipulate whenever they wanted to. We cannot use religion for our own purposes. Showy religious actions without a proper heart response are not pleasing to God. Application number three, know your calling and focus on it. Saul was a soldier and king. Samuel was a prophet and priest. The duties of a priest and prophet very were very carefully detailed in God's word, and no one else was to do what each one of them was called to do. God's punishments were severed if disobeyed, as Saul did. For us, know what you are called to do, your spiritual gift, and focus on that. Pray for others. Don't try to take over their work or tell them what to do. Be satisfied and thankful that the Lord has given you the job he's given you. Look at If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you need to figure it out. Um, look at the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 12, it, it talks about them. 
There's a lot of teaching about spiritual gifts there and in other places where each person has a job to do in the body of Christ. There's a ton of stuff about this online. I'm sure your church has teachings on it. They want everybody, every church wants everyone to be practicing their spiritual gifts. Another thing, don't keep others from doing theirs. You might think, oh, how could so-and-so be this or that or whatever. If they feel called to do something and God seems to be blessing it, it's wrong for you to keep them from doing it. Sadly, Saul did not learn from this first instance of it. In 1 Samuel 15, later, he was commanded to totally destroy the Amalekites and all their livestock, everything, similar to the command to destroy Jericho. Now again, Saul wins the victory, but he kept many of the spoils. Obviously, God saw what was going on. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. He gets up once again to confront Saul. Saul meets him with the words, if you can believe this, I carried out the Lord's instructions. And then one of the great responses in scripture, Samuel then says, what then is the sound of the bleeding of sheep in my ears? Saul's response and then God's response. Saul again offers excuses, blames the army, says he did it for God to be able to sacrifice to him when he'd been commanded specifically not to do that. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Application. We cannot pick and choose our obedience to God. Some things are, and and this is where you've got to keep listening to him. Some things are okay at one time in life, but not in another. For example, early on in the Exodus journey, Moses was told to strike the rock for water. Later, he was told to speak to it. When he disobeyed and later on struck the rock, when God said speak to it, the consequences were serious and he was not allowed to go into the promised land because of it. Saul was not told to totally destroy everybody in all his battles, but he was supposed to in this one. We must listen closely. Now David appears on the scene. The Lord tells Samuel to anoint David, and he does. But David's patience will be tested for anywhere from 8 to 15 years. The timing isn't really exact on on some of these things. I personally think, and looking at the different things, that 15 years is probably the closest. And we'll learn a lot more about David in some upcoming lessons. He kills Goliath. Saul should have been the champion, though, in that. You know, he was the biggest, the bravest, the king, all of that. But he had no spiritual strength. And David knew, even though he was much littler than Saul and younger, he knew the true battle was not that Goliath was a huge and scary giant, but he had had defied the armies of the living God.
It was a great victory. Saul praises him, gives him his daughter as a wife, but Saul and David's relationship deteriorates. For the next 10-15 years or so, Saul is consumed with jealousy and rage. He blames his family, his army, and David. He wastes time and resources chasing David. David does not retaliate. He spares Saul's life several times. This goes on for a long time, but finally, there's a big battle with the Philistines. Samuel has died, and Saul is desperate for guidance. He goes to see the witch of Endor to call up the spirit of Samuel. She reminds Saul that he's forbidden what he's asking her to do. But Samuel actually shows up, shocking them all, and he tells Saul, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and has given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce, fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The prophecy came true. Saul and his sons died. Israel was defeated. Now, there's really an important note here. Um, it may be a little thing, but actually it's really not if you, well, let me just tell you what, what I'm going to say. Um, Saul committed suicide, but it's important to look at that passage and remember he was told in advance, you and your sons will be with me. Samuel was in paradise. He was with God. Suicide is a very sad ending, but it is not the unforgivable sin. Once a child of God, always a child of God. God gathers his children home in love, no matter how they arrive. In conclusion, we've seen two lives, two men, the same God, but very different outcomes. From childhood on, one listened to God, one did not. Samuel listened and obeyed God, even when it was extremely difficult. Saul ignored God's commands and did what he wanted to do. Samuel died an honored prophet, a leader, one of the great men of the Bible. Saul died a tragic suicide, and his sons were killed alongside him. Like them, we can choose. We can also pray, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. When you read your Bible, think of it as a conversation. Pray, journal as you read. Intentionally look for patterns in how God deals with people in His character. If you have a desire, a need, whatever it is, talk it over with the Lord. Ask His will be done. Journal possible solutions, but leave it open for God to work in both your circumstances and in changing your desires. Because remember, God sees the big picture of our lives and He knows what's ultimately best for us. Because of that, it makes much more sense to trust Him to work things out rather than to simply demand what we want. Bob Goff says, It's easy to trust God when He does what we want. It's the other times we grow. When we accept, without fighting, that His will be done, we often look back at people or situations He kept us from with relief. If God had answered our prayers as we first thought, a situation or a person we thought we couldn't live without, what a mess we might have been in. But when we, we trust Him, 
he often surprises us with solutions or outcomes we never dreamed possible. Final Applications Listening to God and daily adjusting our lives to follow His leading is not only for the super-spiritual. Remember Dallas Willard's comment, What if we were made for this? I believe we are, all of us. Humanity was created to walk with God in the garden, and we will again at the renewal of all things when the dwelling of God will be with His people. We can become familiar with His voice now. That's all for now. Please check out the additional resources at www.bible805.com and tell your friends about the materials available there. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.